morning. We are full of goodness this morning, good things at the Fields Church, and uh, because of all of the good things we have to do, we are going to uh, change the order of some of these things up a little bit. So normally we would jump right into the reading of scripture, ask for the Lord's help in my preaching, as we always ought to be praying for, but also pray for your help in hearing. I'm going to pause for a moment before we do that, and we're going to do some announcements. Normally that comes at the end, uh, but we have so many good things at the end of our service that we're going to do some announcements right here, right now. So, I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for coming. Hadn't it been a wonderful morning already? Preston leading us in worship. Um, you almost thought that Graham was up here uh, leading in, in a song that he wrote uh, for our church, that Ephesians 2 song so well. Thank you, Press. Um, guess, g- glad that you're here, whether you're here for baptism or uh, because of an invite, we are glad you're here. There is a form on your chair on the back of that sermon notes page. Uh, we would love for you to write your name on there, your email uh, or cell phone or something and let us uh, reach out to you. You can just drop that in the offering box on your way out and please know when you eventually leave when we eventually let you leave this place because we've got so much planned when you're coming back down the hallway there's a table full of resources um, that if any of those would be a benefit to you please grab them and uh, make use of some of those a couple things to to think about Um, moving forward uh, we have made it available to you um, but we want to remind you again of our bible reading plan Uh, Just this past week, we started kind of the new section of our Bible reading plan and starting reading the book of Isaiah as well as the rest of Paul's letters. And I was encouraged in uh, one of our uh, uh, membership interviews that we had this week of just uh, loving reading the Bible with one another. Uh, I get texts from... uh, Casey all the time about reading God's word and sharing it back and forth and we love reading the same thing and sharing the same thing with one another so church I want to encourage you to be in God's word jump on that Bible reading plan with us Uh, know this every Sunday morning uh, we have a field training class a class that we hope to equip you to be the church in the world this morning we started a class on church history and we got 2,000 years of history all in one hour And so we had a lot. Well, next week, we're going to start dissecting that a little bit more. So I hope you come back next week as we look at segments and individuals in church history at 845. We've got your kids' classes at the same time and then a little break before we gather together for worship. So be back next week. Starts a new uh, video series with Tim Challies, which is really, really good. So be there for that. Uh, Members. Uh, If you're here this morning, remember, next Sunday night, we have a members meeting, uh, September 19th, opportunity for us to pray for our missionaries, to pray for one another, um, to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, as always, to affirm new members that we have for you. So uh, please plan on being here next Sunday night at 6 p.m. for that, and uh, I want to confess, I announced something prematurely that we were going to be launching our D groups next Sunday. Due to um, sickness 
and um, some other concerns. We just aren't going to be ready by next Sunday. Pastor Ed's been dealing with COVID for about two or three weeks, and so uh, please be praying for him and Maggie and Rachel, um, and he is our pastor of our groups, and so uh, we're going to give him a break. We're, we're going to, this is that day, you know, he called me yesterday, and we're like, okay, I'm going to give you a two-week extension, you know, on our launch of those things. You remember when your professor came in and said that, you know, two-week extension on your research project? That was the greatest day ever. It was just me, but that's what we're, we're going to do. So I need you to think about it in that. Think about how blessed Pastor Ed's going to be. Uh, and then also just be praying. Um, and know we need hosts. We need uh, leaders. Uh, we need uh, people to be able to uh, help us gather together in community regularly. So if Pastor Ed has called you or if you see his caller ID pop up on your phone, don't send him to voicemail. Just answer, talk to him and uh, see how you could be of help to help us launch our group. So we'll be launching those, Lord willing, in October, okay? Last but not least, I was supposed to text James. See, there's so many good things. Um, I'm going to say now. Okay, James is coming because I want to pray for James this morning. Um, James and anybody else that's helping with the ESL class, uh, I'm just going to ask you to stand. There she is, stand. Rook, I think Amy over there. If you're helping with the ESL class, y'all just stand, and I'm going to pray for James, and you'll probably see him, you know, running down this way. Uh, James has, uh, as our missions deacon, has jumped all into the YMCA uh, as a part of their board, uh, the advisory board here at the Cooper Y. He's been in charge of all of the events that we've done the past year and all the events that we're going to be doing in the fall. And this is just really exciting because the Lord has given us uh, the opportunity to launch an ESL class. Uh, English as a second language class for uh, members of the Y and members of the community. And this happens to be Welcome Week at the Y. You may have noticed by all of the beautiful flags of all of the different countries um, hanging in the hallway to remind us that God is a God who loves people of all nations. And uh, the Y does too. Come on up, James. The Y does too, and we do too. And so we are thankful to partner with an organization that loves people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. And we are excited about the opportunity to um, serve them and love them through this ESL class. And so, James, I've prepped them. They knew you were coming. Uh, I'm going to pray for James and for these who are helping. And if you would like to help uh, on Tuesday nights, 6.30 to 8.30, um, please talk to James. Uh, even if you want to bring snacks, if you want to come up and just pray and watch, if you want to come and just greet people who are coming to the class, um, they would love your help. Love your help even to fill in on some of those nights when, when they need people to fill in. Also, if you're available tomorrow night, again, this is welcome week. There will be a lot of people up here. What's the time? Um, tomorrow night from 6 to 7.30. 6 to 7.30 as a part of Welcome Week. You can invite people who come to the Welcome Week event to come to ESL the next night. So if you're available tomorrow night, 6.30 to, to 7.30, come talk to James as well. But I just want to pray. We want to pause. We want to ask for the Lord's help in this work, not just the fields doing another cool thing. We want to ask God to do a great work in and through it uh, as they will be sharing the gospel every opportunity they're given with these people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. So, James, let me pray. 
Father, I thank you for James and these who have given of hours and hours of time already to go to training courses, to have meetings together, to be planning, to be organizing, um, getting things ready for this ESL class starting on Tuesday. And I thank you for uh, their love for you. And they're doing this not for appreciation, not for thanks, not for pay for sure, not for anything else except because they know uh, all that you have given them. They know the, that they have been saved by grace through faith, and they too want to freely give as they have been given to those who are in need of God's grace as well. And I pray, God, uh, for your divine help in the practical things of launching a class like this, but also in the spiritual things, the things that we cannot accomplish. God, would you um, prepare the hearts, even registering those who so desperately need this class and need you to be there. Uh, God, I pray that um, you would use the, the next 12 weeks of investment to um, bear spiritual fruit, eternal fruit in the lives of those who come to learn English better, but but in fact, they actually come to find you. So God, would you find them right here in this building, in this place, this week, this semester. And God, use these servants, use us as a church to support them uh, in prayer, in uh, presence, and in encouragement and thanks. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, bud. Thank you. Those of you, again, talk to James if need be. Uh, if you would like to help them, and here we go. We're about to jump into Romans chapter 1. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn there. I'm going to pause, take a deep breath, ask for the Lord's help in this, uh, our study of Romans 1 together. Father, thank you for your word. We realize that though you have revealed yourself in all of creation by the things that you have made and we know that you are God you have revealed yourself specifically to us in your word in the Bible in the scriptures we read them and we hear your very inspired words and so as we read your word as we study your word this morning I pray that you would help us to listen well that you would help me to speak well and clearly, not of my own ability or power, but of yours. And God, I pray that you would do a work in the hearing of your word, that your spirit would save, that your spirit would um, convict of sin, that your spirit would sanctify and cleanse us and make us more like you. God, I pray that your word and your spirit would bear much fruit and that, God, you would be honored and glorified in all that happens. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in uh, preparation for Romans 1, 18 through 32, I, uh, I honestly just wanted to split it up into multiple weeks. But as I meet every week with uh, men from our congregation and share with them what I've been studying, they wouldn't let me off the hook. They said, we need it all. 
Like, go for it. And so, uh, it's, if, if you have someone to blame for, the, for what we're going through this morning and, and the amount that we're going through this morning, uh, I will point you to some individuals when we're done. Nevertheless, uh, this passage is, is somewhat known. Um, at the same time, it's a topic that is heavy. Uh, you see my title. That's not the title of sermon series that uh, really draws people in from the streets, the wrath of God. Uh, in thinking about that, the wrath of God being revealed, uh, it made me begin considering um, not only what myself and, and you and others in the world consider and think about when they think about that term, the wrath of God, but it also made me think about other um, uses of, of a phrase similar to that, the wrath of so-and-so, the wrath of dad. You know, when dad, you know, when you disobey and dad's about to discipline the wrath of dad. And I was searching and found that there was actually a movie that launched in May called The Wrath of Man. Now, I don't encourage you to even watch the trailer, much less even the movie. I mean, th it I know we're not in a s season when a lot of movies are coming out, but my goodness, I must have not seen, I've been watching kids' movies way too long and Star Wars way too long. Uh, this is a brutal movie, The Wrath of Man coming upon those who had um, killed his, his son. But when we think about the wrath of God, we often think like that, brutal, angry, mean, uh, just outright unjustifiable anger towards other people, outbursts of anger. And we need to realize, um, not only does our passage help us to understand really what the wrath of God is, but the entire Bible helps us to, to see what really the, the wrath of God really is. When you think about that phrase, you might think of situations in our Bibles, like the flood, the wrath of God poured out on mankind for their sin. And yet God, even in the midst of that wrath, saved Noah. Or stories in the Old Testament that are un almost unbelievable about God opening up the earth and swallowing a group of people that rebelled against him in that moment. Or, or you, you just think that's Old Testament. You could jump to the New Testament in the, the birth of the early church when there were when there were people selling homes and selling property and giving the proceeds to the Lord and to the church to help the gospel be made known. And there were a couple who sold their home. And it wasn't simply that they didn't give all of it to the church that God struck them dead. It was simply the fact that they lied about how much they did give back to the Lord. And they were struck dead. The wrath of God coming upon them. This is what we think about when we think about the wrath of God, and you would be right. That is the wrath of God. Or you may think forward. You may think into the future and think revelation. And you think, in revelation, the wrath of God is going to be poured out on mankind, on sin, uh, until God establishes his, his new kingdom, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. And, and you would be right there as well. That is an aspect of the wrath of God. But there's a whole different uh, aspect of the wrath of God that we find in Romans chapter 1. And I think this 
definition, this aspect of the wrath of God will surprise you a bit. John Stott, one of the commentators I enjoy reading, uh, have in the book of Acts as well as in the book of Romans, he defines God's wrath as this, a holy hostility to evil. His refusal to condone it or to come to terms with it. His judgment upon it. And this is what we see in different forms and in different ways and different times and in different places from the Old Testament to the New Testament even till now. God's wrath is always his holy hostility towards evil. It's his response to sin. And most often it's his response to the sin of idolatry. The sin of idolatry. Choosing to worship anything or anyone else other than God. And when you think about it, uh, that, that is the root of almost every sin that you can see in the pages of Scripture. Idolatry, it's the, it's the root of likely every sin in your own heart, in your own life. Choosing to worship anything or anyone, including yourself, other than God. When we think about, in the Old Testament, the, uh, the Ten Commandments. The first one, you, you shall have no other gods before me. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. The second commandment was to not look upon another image, to not worship any other idols. It's the second commandment. After the first commandment that you should only have one God, you shouldn't look at or have any other gods. Being the second commandment, that, that in and of itself is, is the root. When we have another God other than the Lord himself, we find ourselves in trouble. And that's why... Uh, God's wrath is poured out against sin and always against idolatry. And in this passage, we're going to see his wrath being poured out in a bit of a different way than, like we've said, you may have expected. In Romans chapter 1, if we go back just one verse, we see Paul writing this transition from the introduction of Romans to the kind of main body of Romans, which we're starting in verse 18, he says, For in it, that is, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Remember that word. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Well, jump now to verse 18, and there we see not the righteousness of God being revealed, but here we see the wrath of God is revealed. And the wrath of God, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to note this, that the wrath of God is revealed ultimately against sin. The wrath of God, as Paul is trying to communicate to uh, the, be the believers, the, the, the people, the specifically here, the Gentiles in Rome in first century, is that the wrath of God is revealed against sin. When sin is present, uh, God's wrath must 
be present. And, and, and again, his wrath is that holy hostility towards evil. It's different than man's wrath. God's wrath is always holy. It's always perfect. It's always deserved. It's always just. It's always complete. Man's wrath is rarely just. Rarely perfectly righteous. Uh, as a man or a woman, as a mother or a father, as a, a boss or an employee, as a neighbor, as a friend, your anger, your wrath is rarely righteous, but God's is always righteous. He alone who is holy. And Romans 1.18 says that the wrath of God is revealed, where is it from? From heaven, from God's dwelling place, against all, circle the, circle the world, word all, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That's why I said and just summed it up by saying that God's wrath is revealed against sin. When you think about ungodliness, what that word is getting at is a godlessness. That God's wrath is revealed against individuals, homes, communities that want to do away with God. That are godless in a sense. And not only godless, but unrighteous. That there is uh, no goodness in them. God himself, of course, being the source of all good things. And then Paul answers the question that you're probably thinking, why? Why is the wrath of God revealed against all of this? And, and, and to who? To men. The righteousness, unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, listen to this phrase, suppress the truth. Who by their unrighteousness, by their unholy acts, they are suppressing the truth. The tr truth about what? The truth of what? Well, Paul goes on to, to describe specifically the truth about God. That, that's my first sub-point for you this morning, that the wrath of God is revealed against sin. Why? For suppressing the truth about God. Th this is that specific sin of godlessness and unrighteousness. That specific sin of wanting nothing to do with God. And not just that you, uh, I or others are acting in an ungodly, godless way or an unrighteous way, but when we are doing that, we are suppressing the truth about God for others around us to hear. And that the, the world, the Gentile Roman world, they were living in such a way that their sin was suppressing the truth from going out towards other people. And it's that truth about God that Paul defines in verse 19. Look at verse 19 with me where Paul says, and, and this whole paragraph being uh, almost every sentence starts with what word? For. For this, for this, or because of this, because of this, because of this, because of this. It's just continuing to build on itself. When you see that word, note that. 
And Paul goes on to explain what truth is being suppressed here. It's just simply the truth about God. For what can be known about God is plain to them. And the word plain is emphatic in the Greek. And Paul is saying it's, it's obvious. It's clear to everyone that God exists. Why? Because God has shown it to them. How has God shown it to them? Look at verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, they have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Where? In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Paul is saying that knowledge about God exists everywhere. Everywhere. You don't have to live in a place where there's a church on every corner or uh, in a place that has a history with Christianity. To know that there is a God is evidenced everywhere in creation. This is what Paul is, is saying. You just look out into the world to the things that have been made and you know that there is a, is a God. And yet, the sin of the world, which would include even those of us who are believers, participated in. Our sin suppressed even that truth. It, it even suppressed the truth that God exists when you look at, look at nature. But when we look at creation... Uh, like when you look at your iPhone, you don't think, wow, what an accident. I can't believe, what are the chances that this iPhone would just show up on my doorstep? Like, that's just amazing. We, we don't think that way. We think, wow, like, can you imagine, like, I don't have that, that background. I don't know anything about technology or engineering or electronics or any of that. But I know there's a lot of people that do, and I think, man, there are some smart dudes and dudettes out there that can do this sort of thing. Or, or you look at people going to space, being able to pay to fly to space. And I'm thinking, wow, just an accident. That I'm, I'm so gl glad that there was a spaceship here that could, you know, like accidentally drop, you know. We think, wow, think about all the people who have studied space, who have studied uh, engineering, uh, to be able to develop this, to be able to know how to do this, this, that's amazing. The same ought to be true when we look at creation, the natural world. When you look at the natural world, you can't, you can't think, wow, some man made that mountain. That's amazing. Or you look out at the ocean and think, wow, someone left the tap running. You know, like, like can you imagine how they were able to, like, make this ocean and make it not go any further, and this, that, or the other. We don't do that. We look out at creation, and we think, there has to be a God. There's no other explanation for it. This is why the psalmist says in Psalm 19, verse 1, that the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. And yet, our sin, the world's sin can even suppress that truth to make people think it's just an accident it's just by chance aren't we lucky <laughs> we were 
you know, organisms on this planet at this time and in this day and age. No. Uh, our sin ought not to suppress the truth. It ought to lift high the truth of God's word. But this is why the wrath of God is revealed. Uh, number one, because of the suppression of the truth. But number two, for not honoring him as God. The wrath of God is revealed for suppressing the truth about God, but it's also revealed for not honoring him as God. In verse 21, for although they knew God, they knew that God existed, they looked at creation, they knew that God uh, was the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or they did not give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The wrath of God is revealed secondly because people are not honoring the Lord, the Creator, as God. They're honoring the sun, the moon, the the stars. They're honoring evolution. They're not giving thanks to the Lord for creating and sustaining everyone and everything. They're giving thanks to medicine and um, working out and eating healthy and this, that, or the other. Not giving thanks to where thanks is due, but giving thanks to themselves and their own abilities and their own powers. They're not honoring the Lord as God, but honoring themselves as God And the result is that they become futile and foolish. Futile, they become fruitless, worthless, useless, or foolishness. They become witless, mindless, and thoughtless. All because they've not acknowledged God as God. And instead, they have in the sin of their hearts, and in their own idolatry, made something or someone else as God and honored them, give thanks to them rather than to the Lord. And so God is about to reveal his wrath upon them. But there's a a third reason uh, that the wrath of God is revealed, and that is for exchanging the glory of God. Look in verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools when they exchanged the glory of the Creator God for mere images of the things that he had created. Now you might say, well, I, you know, I've never done that. I don't have animal statues on my shelf at home. I don't have, uh, I don't worship the sun, moon, and the stars. I don't worship the gods uh, of, of Roman mythology, Greek mythology. I don't worship the gods of Hinduism or anything like that. That's this passage is talking about other people, but, but in reality, when we're talking about sin, the sin of idolatry, uh, most often the image uh, of, of, of creation that we 
worship and honor and give thanks is our own self. It's our own picture. And you may not have a shrine dedicated to it in your home, but some of you, your home is your shrine to yourself. You may not have a shrine to yourself in your car, but your car is your shrine to yourself. Your life, your calendar, your finances are your shrine, your worship to yourself. Rather than worshiping uh, and honoring and glorifying God, we're exchanging His glory for our own glory. And it's a cheap, cheap, temporary substitute. And yet we spend our hundred years that we're given here on this earth, maybe, tempted to and oftentimes leading to worshiping ourselves rather than giving everything we have in this life to worship the Lord, knowing that we've got an eternity waiting for us to do the very same thing. This is just the pre-season, the pre-game for uh, the season of eternity that we have with him. Let us not be tricked and deceived and tempted into worshiping ourselves or our boss or another person or our kids or our job or our retirement or our bank accounts or our home or this pleasure or that pleasure more than we worship the Lord because it's against those things that the wrath of God is being revealed. Verse 24, therefore. Uh-oh. Okay, this is, this is where, when you hear that kind of passage, the wrath of God is being revealed because of these things. Therefore, God struck them down. God sent the lightning bolt. God opened up the earth. God sent, uh, you know, this, that, or the other natural disaster. God did this. What is God's wrath going to look like in this passage? After, I mean, that is a terrible first few verses of the sinfulness and idolatry and wickedness and unrighteousness and ungodliness that's being described in those few verses. What is the wrath of God going to look like in verse 24? Therefore, God gave them up. God gave them up. They did all of these things against this holy and righteous God. And God said, okay, you have it your way. You want to live a godless life? I'm going to step back and let you have what you think you really want. I don't know about you, but when you read through this passage, that's actually like, the worst that God could do. Because when you think just about our everyday lives, what we don't talk about a lot, what we don't realize a lot, is that God has this common grace that is upon all of us. Just because he's near. Just because he's involved. As creator and sustainer, he's holding all things together. But God's saying, you want to you wanna worship another God? You want to suppress the truth and deny that I exist? You want to worship anyone other than me? Okay. And that right there is quite possibly the worst 
situation that you could be yourself. When God steps back and lets you have what you want. When God steps back and doesn't discipline you because of your sin. I thought about, I was thinking about this this week. I had conversations with some even this week about what would, what, what would that look like as a, as a parent. And, and it's, have you ever heard the idea? And I talked to someone who had practiced, tried this, and it was like, it didn't work. But, you know, like, catch your kids smoking. Like, okay, you want to smoke? We're going to smoke. And you, like, sit down and make them smoke everything that they had right then, the whole pack right then and there. I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'm gonna, you're going to make them do it. Or, oh, you, you want to go and do this, that, or the other in your life? Okay, let's see how it is. You have to pay for it. Again. The wrath of mom and dad, never righteous, <laughs> never done in a holy manner, never done rightly with right intentions. But when God does this and he steps back, it's his wrath, it's his anger, it's his just judgment upon us. And three times the Lord says, the, the, Paul says, God gave them up. Verse 24, verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them up. What is, he, what is this wrath as him giving them up look like? What is he giving them up to? Uh, three things. God gave them up first to dishonoring their bodies in 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. In other words, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Uh, impurity in the Old Testament was huge. It, it was what the people of Israel built their community on. Cleanliness. Not, not just disinfectant. And we live in a pretty clean society. But I'm talking cleanliness in, a, in accordance with God's laws. Uh, when you become unclean according to his laws, you must cleanse yourself. You must take a, a certain period of time. This was not only to honor the Lord, to obey him, but for protection of others and, and society. It was uh, God's common grace. Again, God's even more than that specific grace and, and specific revelation to his people in that way. But here God is saying that he gave them up to impurity, to uncleanliness, un uncleanness. And, and again, this, I'm not talking about being disinfected and, and being clean, cleansed of all germs. I, I'm talking about being clean of sin. God gave them up to their sinful ways, their sinful lifestyles, their, uh, their uncleanness of, of heart. This is why the Bible often talks about that we need to be cleansed. Our hearts need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. We need to be um, cleaned in that. And so God says that he gives them up to that. In verse 25, why? Because, remember earlier it said they suppressed the truth about God. Well, here he says because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. A lie that God doesn't exist, that he didn't create the heavens and the earth. And so they worshiped and served the creatures rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God gives them up to that. He gives them up to their unclean ways, their sinful ways. 
which encompasses all kinds of activity, all kinds of thought life, all kinds of public and private sin. God gives them up to all of that that doesn't conform to his word and to his ways to let them see if that's going to bring them the happiness that they think it will bring them. He gives them up to it. You want to live that way? Go that way. And the Lord steps back and gives them up to it. Not only to the dishonoring of their bodies, but to dishonorable passions. Read in verse 26. For this reason, God, again, emphatically in the Greek, all three times, God gave them up. He handed them over. What did he hand them over to this time? Dishonorable passions. What does that mean? For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty. Listen to that. The due penalty for their error. Now we live in a over-sexualized, hyper-sexualized life in a, in a time and a season when the LGBTQ plus uh, mindset is pressing hard for more and more acceptance and freedom and right, uh, but it's not new. You remember when this was written? 2,000 years ago. That lifestyle was not new then. It was written about 1,400, you know, 2,000 years before that in Genesis. So, so this is not new. And, and why does Paul bring up that, that specific sin, that specific aspect of, of even sexuality. Well, let's go back to the first part of this passage. You remember that it was talking about God creating the heavens and the earth. He is the creator. And, and specifically at the height of his creation, what did he make? Man and woman. And he made them in his own image for one another. And so when Paul is denying this type of lifestyle, and he calls it a dishonorable passion, he's not just picking the thing that he doesn't like or that Rome loves. He's picking uh, one of the key aspects that goes contrary to God as creator and sustainer. The one who planned designed and created sexuality in the very beginning and said, you want to enjoy it? Enjoy it this way, with man and the woman in the context of marriage for a lifetime. God, God is the one who designed it, who, who orchestrated it, created it, and gave us the ability to be able to, to enjoy it. And he's saying, you want to enjoy it in any other way than how I've defined it? Okay. See if that gets you what, what you really want. Happiness, purpose, meaning, eternal life? Surely, surely not. Paul highlights the fact that these are unnatural. 
they're not in accordance with the created order. When God made man uh, and woman for one another, not only for their enjoyment together, but for procreation. This is how God was going to help his creation fulfill his first command to them, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And Paul is saying here that the wrath of God is revealed against all sin, and therefore God gave them up to these unnatural, dishonorable passions. And lest we think that that's the only way that sexuality is a dishonorable passion or the only fruit of dishonorable passion, any any engagement in sexual activity outside of marriage is not according to the Lord's created order. It may be more natural, but it is not glorifying to the Lord. It is not in accordance with his word and with his created order. And so it too is a dishonorable passion, whether it be someone with the opposite sex whom you're not married to or before you're married to them, or whether it be trivializing the opposite sex just in picture form, just in visual, any form of sexuality outside of God's design in marriage is described as a dishonorable passion. And the Lord's wrath towards them was giving them up to it. That's a scary, scary place to be. But not only that, thirdly, in, in addition to dishonorable passions, to debased minds, to dishonoring bodies, to dishonorable passions, and lastly, to debased minds in 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, this time to a debased mind. What does that mean? A mind that would do what ought not to be done. And here, in case you thought, oh man, I slipped out from under the, you know, maybe the first two. The first one was so generic, you know, like he gave them up to impurity and dishonoring other bodies. That's kind of generic. The next one, I'm not engaging in that type of activity. So the Lord hadn't given me up to that. Just listen. Listen to the types of sinful behavior that the Lord's wrath is revealed against at times by just giving them up to this. And notice the, the adjective at times, they were filled uh, or full of. In 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit maliciousness. He describes them by saying they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, kids, disobedient to parents, in case you thought that your parents were getting the, the finger, you know, pointed at them and wagged at them. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. 
It's a damning list against all of us. 21 sins that most of us have probably committed 90% of. And you're like, oh, I've never murdered. Well, do you know what Jesus defined as murder in the gospel? Anger. That wrath <laughs> that man has that's unrighteous, that's like committing murder in your heart against me. We, if we're honest, we see ourselves in that list. The good news, though, is that for those who have realized that, that they're in this list, that even for a season God gave you up to those things, and you realize that, and you realize how unsatisfactory they were, you realize how unhappy you were in the midst of them, you realize how good and holy God is, how righteous he is and how sinful you have acted towards him in that moment, realizing the goodness of God and the sinfulness of your own heart, you repent and you turn. And the wrath of God is not poured out on you any longer. The wrath of God is not poured out on you any longer. The wrath of God is not being stored up for you any longer. Our response is, is to repent. Uh, I read this week Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, wonderful preacher of God's word who preached Romans over 10 years in like a thousand sermons. He says, he says this, be careful how you treat God, my friends. You may say to yourself, I can sin against God, and then, of course, I can repent and go back to find God whenever I want him. The doctor says, you try it. And you will sometimes find that not only can you not find God in that place, but that you do not even want to. That's the scary part of God giving you up. You will be aware of a terrible hardness in your heart, and you can do nothing about it. And then you suddenly realize that it is God punishing you in order to reveal your sinfulness and your vileness to you. And there is only one thing to do. You turn back to him and say, Oh God, do not go on dealing with me judicially, though I deserve it. Soften my heart. Melt me. I cannot do it myself. You cast yourself utterly upon his mercy and upon his compassion. Because the good news, that's a lot of bad news. Our response is to repent and to turn back to God while we have the chance. The good news is this, that when you, seeing who God is and how sinful you are, repent and turn to him by grace through faith, God himself says that the wrath that you rightly deserve was already poured out on Jesus Christ. That the wrath that you 
So fear, now and into the future, was already dealt with when Jesus left heaven and came to earth. We'll be looking at this in in the future, but Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul writes, For while we were still weak, and I could add, as sinners, ungodly, unrighteous, deserving the wrath of God. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you remember what the wrath of God was revealed against? All ungodliness. And who did Christ come to die for? All the ungodly who repent and believe. In verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Anyone who's here this morning, we all deserve. We're, we are just like the Romans of the first century. We deserve the wrath of God. We find ourselves in those aspects of sin, those aspects that God's wrath is revealed against. We're, we're there. Romans 1, 18 through 32 has our name written And yet, if we would repent and believe in Jesus Christ, God the Son, who left heaven and came to earth, who died on the cross, and in that moment, think about it, what was God's wrath towards mankind? Giving them up. What happened to Jesus on the cross? Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you given me up? Why have you forsaken me? Realize that through repentance and faith, Christ absorbed the wrath of God. He took your place. He allowed himself to be fully abandoned by God for a time. But death couldn't hold him. Our sin could not keep him in the grave. He rose victorious on the third day and offers cleansing, purity, righteousness to all of those who would repent and believe. You don't have to fear God giving you up anymore because you're a child of God. And God does not give up those whom he has adopted into his family. He disciplines but he doesn't give them up. That's why Hebrews says that discipline is God's act of love towards his children. If you weren't his child, he'd give you up to what you expect. There's some of you that the Lord has given up for a time to certain sins so that you would realize how, how unsatisfying sin is and how desperate you are for a savior. My encouragement to you, if you find yourself in that place this morning, is to repent, to turn, to turn back to God and be saved 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and fear no longer the wrath of God, now or in the future any longer. And if you, as one of God's children, having put your faith in Jesus and are now a co-heir with, with Christ, rest in the reminder that Christ absorbed the wrath of God for you. Worship Him. Glorify Him. Follow Him. Obey Him. He, he's given us His Word to show us how we ought to live. Let's take Him at His Word. He hasn't just revealed Himself in all of creation. He's revealed Himself specifically in His Word and how we ought to live for Him. Let us follow Him in that way with one another, day in, day out, week in, week out. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? We are desperate for you, knowing that we deserve this wrath that was described so clearly in Romans 1. And yet we also know that by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who took the wrath of God for us as sinners and died in our place and rose again from the dead, we know that we can not enjoy, endure the wrath of God, but we can enjoy the presence of God rather than being given up by God. We know that we get to spend eternity with you. And so, God, I pray that you would draw some to yourself who recognize for the first time how good, how holy, how righteous, how powerful, how eternal you really are as the creator and sustainer of the world and how they have sinned against you and that they even in this moment, would confess and repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ alone to save. Calling out, Lord Jesus, save me. And for those of us who know all too well again how awful our sin is in light of you, that we would confess again, repent again, and by faith walk in obedience to you in all the ways that have been brought to mind this morning, but in all the ways that you reveal to us in the coming days. May we be a people who are not hypocrites, as we will look at next week, but that we would be a people that by faith are seeking to be obedient to you. Lord, help us. Thank you for not leaving us where we are at. Even the opportunity to gather and hear your word in this way means that you have not totally given up on anyone in this room. And I pray that we would respond accordingly through repentance and faith and faithful obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.